Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John. I read from chapter 21. I'm going to start with verse 3 through 21 or something, 19. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Simon, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us. And we pray that through me or in spite of me, your word may be heard by your people this day. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I feel really far away from all of you. What comes to mind when I say or when you hear summer of love? What comes to mind? I missed that one. Oh, San Fr- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. San Francisco. 
Hippies, Woodstock, Daisy Chains, Flowers in Your Hair, Tie-Dye, Anti-War Sentiments, maybe, Psychedelics, maybe, Peace Signs. The 1967 Summer of Love was a cultural phenomenon that I've only heard about. It was just a few years before my time. But in researching it a little bit, I realized and learned that it wasn't just um, kind of concentrated in San Francisco or in New York. Did you know that here in Denver we had our very own Summer of Love? I was reading that Denver had the development of a dance and concert hall. Does anybody know this? Called the Family Dog Denver. Yeah? Ringing a bell? Anybody? No? Then you're learning something today. It was over on West Evans Avenue, not too far west from here, kind of west of, of I-25. And musicians including The Doors, Van Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Buffalo Springfield, Janis Joplin, and Chuck Berry played there. Sadly, The Dog, as it was affectionately known, closed down less than a year after it opened. But apparently the whole thing marked a turning point and the cultural identity of Denver. So I invite you to go and, and look that up, learn a little, a little bit more about the dog. But this summer, I'm going to invite you to resurrect the summer of love, but in a different way than in 1967. You don't have to, you know, skip your showers or put on macrame vests. But let's look at love through the lens of scripture and the experiences of Jesus and his followers to truly embody love. Now there are several different types of love that are expressed in the Greek language that we hear in scripture, like eros, agape, and philos. According to uh, LearnReligions.com, that I turn to for some definitions around this, St. Augustine understood philos to be a form of love to describe the love of equals who are united in a common purpose, pursuit, good, or end. So philia refers to a love based on mutual respect Shared devotion, joint interests, and common values. It is the love near and dear friends have for one another. And I think that this is the kind of love that Jesus had for his disciples. After a lifetime of hearing the stories of Jesus, I think it took becoming a pastor to understand how deeply Jesus would have needed friends. I don't think it's necessarily because I'm a pastor. A lot of us would fit into a category where we have people depending on us as a leader. I just happen to have like a congregation and a community looking to me for leadership. 
a, do I need a friend to turn my page? Maybe. I know that I need friends. I need friends to serve as a sounding board for ideas, good and bad, and to help me know which ones are good and which ones are bad. I need friends to offer a safe place to vent and to be authentic. I need friends to encourage me when I'm down and ground me when I need that. I think it's important to realize that Jesus surrounded himself with people that loved him. That he didn't just go out and lone ranger this life and ministry thing. He gathered those that he trusted and needed around him. And often we see how much the disciples needed Jesus' guidance. But I think that the human part of Jesus needed them just as much. For comfort, for guidance, for grounding and encouragement. I think it's important to realize that Jesus didn't do his work in a vacuum. He invited constant feedback from those that he trusted around him. Now, as readers of the Bible, we sometimes get an inside look at some of these relationships, how sometimes the disciples seem just like bumbling goofballs that need Jesus to keep them in line. And in fact, that's probably my favorite description of the disciples because I identify it with it so deeply, bumbling goofballs. But they were also trusted advisors, collaborators in Jesus' work, friends. Which is why I think it's so painful and so liberating to hear the story of this lakeside breakfast. We know that this comes after Jesus had died on the cross, after his friends have found the empty tomb, but before they really understand what's going on. And they don't really have any choice but to return to what they were doing before they were hanging out with Jesus, being fishermen for many of them. You know, they probably had families to support, bills to pay, stomachs, to attend to. So Peter decides to go fishing, and his friends go with him. But as we know and as we've heard in the scripture, they don't catch anything. And they hear from the shore the call of a stranger who says, hey, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we haven't. And he says, hey, you know, little hint, just put that net out to the other side of the boat And when they do that, they can hardly pull in their nets that are brimming with fish. One of them says, it's the Lord. And Peter, I'll bless that Peter. He can't even wait to be fully dressed or wait for the boat to get to shore, even though they're only about 100 yards out. And he jumps over the side and swims to Jesus. And they share a meal together, all of them. And there is ease of conversation and great joy in being together. 
But then Jesus turns to Peter and asks, do you love me? Which seems like a strange question to Peter. Of course, he says. Three different times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And the significance of the three times is probably not lost on Peter, who probably relives daily with shame the three times that he had denied knowing Jesus. And each time Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. Because it's not enough to love Jesus. Even so much that you jump half-dressed out of a boat to swim to him. True friends of Jesus are transformed by their friendship. True friends of Jesus live their lives differently because of knowing him. And if there's one thing I'm sure of right now, with the world seemingly falling apart around us, with the uncertainty and pain and struggle and anger of recent events, it's that we need friends. But not just any friends. Friends that stick through thick and thin. Friends that tell the truth, even when it hurts. Friends that forgive 70 times 7. Friends that love beyond measure. Because I believe that the only thing that will make this world right is love. So welcome to the summer of love. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.